0: over in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 it tells us something about this Hebrews 6:13 through 20 for when god made promise to abraham because he could swear by no greater he swore by himself so apparently in covenant, you would always swear by someone that's greater than you are. And here, God made covenant and promised to, to Abraham, but he looked around and there wasn't anybody bigger or greater than he was, and so he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Dear Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that the entrance of your word brings light and understanding. I thank you for giving us Outpost Church. I thank you, Lord for gathering us as a body of believers, for giving us a purpose, and continuing to to show us even more clearly what you have for us as a body of believers in Chisago County. Thank you for the privilege of being able to speak the Word of God, and I pray that you would anoint my words as I endeavor to explain your holy word that's already anointed Thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost, for clarity, for simplicity, and uh, for being able to um, just use, use me in, in this way. And I pray for, for everyone that hears this, that according to Colossians 1, that we'd be filled with the knowledge of your will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that we'd walk worthy of you, Lord, unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is your pastor, Nathaniel Johnson, and I am doing a re-recording of our service on December 3rd. Uh, It's uh, Tuesday, just a, a couple days later but i didn't have my microphone on so so we we had no recording of um of the sermon anyway so that's the part that i'm gonna redo and i'm trusting god to help me with this it's um it's like something that he said to me a long time ago you can't be afraid to touch the canvas all right Um, fine art and particularly painting. Oil on canvas, acrylic on canvas is something that I really enjoy and I haven't done much of it in my life but I, I found a gift there and it was something that, that I have in years past really, really enjoyed. But there can be a tendency to be so much of a perfectionist that you're actually afraid to touch the canvas and that's why Bob Ross, if you remember him, was so wonderful because he would talk about happy accidents, things that wouldn't go quite right when he was applying uh, paint to a canvas. But, you know, if things were off, then he would be able to modify or fix it and turn it into something else or blend it away. And he'd call those things happy accidents. But we have to get to the point eventually where we just trust God and we step out by faith and, uh, Step into the things that he's called us to do, whatever those things may be. And so speaking and uh, preaching for me is is one of those things that's a new thing. And that's what I'm... We just trust God for, for this to sound right and come together. Amen. Last uh, Sunday, I left off in Genesis 15, where God is offering a covenant to Abraham. And he didn't force him to take it; he offered it to him like as like a a proposition. He had already started dealing with Abraham um, to to move to um, move to a land that I will show you to leave family members behind, and it got to and and Abraham started responding to God and taking steps of obedience. And when God works with us in our lives. That's that's how God becomes more and more real to us when we respond to Him, when we respond to the things that the Holy Spirit uh, nudges us to do, and and then He'll tell us something else, and we respond again, and we respond another time, and we respond yet again. That um, you know, even if even if it's as simple as roll out of bed, get on your knees lift your hands to me you respond to god and then and and then he becomes more real how do people get possessed by the devil by responding to the wrong voice and the wrong spirit and the wrong suggestions and they keep yielding and yielding and yielding until the enemy has has them bound and chained and shackled to the wall uh, and and just totally oppressed, if not possessed, uh, that's not us. We, by faith, respond to the the nudging, the leading of the Holy Ghost in our hearts, and that's where he, he speaks to us. Um, and um, also, <clears throat> a comment, I, I guess I, I did on Sunday make some preliminary comments about... Um, the concept of a chosen people. Um, God started with Adam and Eve. The earth quickly, you know, when they when they fell into sin, then immediately it impacted their their um, their first children, Cain and Abel. And then, and who essentially canceled each other out as far as a godly line. Abel was dead, and Cain was was on a path that was not godly and uh, so then they had Seth and he he became the first uh, of of a godly line that would acknowledge god but some generations down down the line the earth was so fallen away and corrupted that god told noah to, to build an ark for the saving of of him and and his family and there's there's reasons for that the earth was very very corrupted and it it also had to do with angelic um with angels that that started to intermingle with the human race and predispose humankind to to evil um to the point where man didn't even have a free will or a free choice, and when you cross that line, God has to get involved with judgment because God always God doesn't force anyone to do any to do anything. He always will protect free will, and uh, so after the after the worldwide cataclysmic judgment of the flood God started over with Noah and his sons but then just um, just a few generations later there was a individual named Nimrod who was against the Lord and against everything godly and holy and and wanted to um, basically consolidate world population in one spot, set up the first uh, world government and that was not the plan of God. And it was going in a very evil way very, very fast. And so at that point, God had promised he wasn't going to judge the world with a flood anymore. He was going, but, but he, he needed to scatter and break up the, uh, the effort that was going on. Because he said, these, these people here, and they were in southern Iraq, uh, that's where the Tower of Babel was was built. He said, these people, this is Genesis 11, he said, these people are of, of um, well, one mind, one accord, that's New Testament words. The, these These ones are so united in what they're doing that nothing will be withheld from them that they have imagined to do. So God had to split it up, and the way he did it this time was to to drop numerous languages on all these folks, and they had to th- th- no one could understand each other, no one could communicate, so they had to find the folks that spoke like them and and scatter and disperse all over the face of the earth. and that's and that's what happened. Abraham or Abram, uh, comes into the picture a long time later. There's actually, Two thousand years from Adam to Abraham, um, and he came from southern Iraq, from Ur of the Chaldees, if you're looking at an ancient map. And God told him, "You need to leave your family. You need to go to the place that, where I'm, the the place that I have, um, the the place that I have for you." And He didn't tell him where it was, but He required Abraham. Abram at the time, he required Abram to walk by faith and to uh, and to just follow him, follow his instructions uh, one step at a time. So Abram did that and he started cooperating with God and God started becoming very, very real to him. And we come to um, Genesis um, 15. And God already has been dealing with Abram, but here in Genesis 15, God really makes it plain to him how serious he is about his relationship with, with Abram, and he does that in the form of a covenant. That's where we left off last time we were together. So Genesis 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? There's one that was born in my house. Is he going to be the heir? In verse 4, God says, this shall not be thine heir. It's going to be someone that comes from your own body. In verse 5, he, the Lord brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven. Tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Uh, there is a <clears throat> there is a time after that where God showed him also the sand on the seashore, and said, So shall thy seed be. And uh, basically Yeah, it's it's later on in Genesis uh, 22, right after he had sacrificed Isaac. Oh yeah, it's, it's right after that incident. In Genesis 22, verse 16, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Never discount the impact that your obedience to God has on your children on your grandchildren on your descendants but here God says that your descendants will be as the stars in the heaven and as the sand on the seashore this this, uh, represents the natural uh, that the sand on the seashore represents the natural seed of Abraham which is the Jewish people the Hebrews, they still know who they are, whether they acknowledge God or not. And his descendants are as the stars of the heaven, and that is the spiritual seed of Abraham. Um, Christians, those of us that have been grafted into the covenant, as we read in the book of of Romans, and uh, become part of of God's uh, covenant, that he established with the father of our faith, Abraham, and through which he brought the Messiah. So back to the concept of a chosen people. Rather than God had already twice since the fall of Adam tried to work on a worldwide scale to um, to bring the Messiah into the earth, to uh, help people to to live right, and to uh, um, the Messiah needed to come. The Messiah needed to be born um, through the womb of a woman into this earth, and the and as god dealt with humankind on a worldwide basis the earth would get corrupted very very quickly so starting here with abraham and the reason why he made covenant with abraham was he focused all of his love and all of his grace on one family and pretty much let the rest of let the rest of everyone else Swelter in the darkness of, of heathen and pagan living, but focused all his love and grace on, on this one family through Abraham to work into that family, to work his word into that family. and prophets would come come up in that family and kings would come up in that family and the prophets would prophesy that there would be a messiah coming that would redeem that would redeem the world that would make redemption available to to the world and and it was, and even starting with, with Moses, really, um, who was a prophet, prophesied again and again and again, God would, God never does anything without, without speaking it first. It's how he, it's how he created the universe through his spoken word. And, and he, he kept on, um, he would, you know, he'd, he'd speak to Abraham and by the time you got to Moses, Moses started writing everything down and that became the written scripture. So now we have God's word spoken, but then but then it, it also, the, the Bible itself began to take form as um, through the writings, through the inspired writings of, of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy and then other people writing the histories and the um, the the Psalms, the wisdom, the prophets, all of it. Um, the Bible is the divinely inspired word of God. The New Testament says it's God breathed. Profitable for instruction, for correction. Um, I believe that's I believe that's in. Uh, Timothy, 1st or 2nd Timothy chapter 3, 2nd Timothy, 2nd Timothy chapter 3, here's a statement on the, the divine origin of the word of God, 2nd Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So God would, God had to put his, speak his word into this earth and, uh, through the prophets, into the atmosphere, through his people, again and again in, in many, many ways, working through the failure of an unregenerate people. that they, they were his chosen people, but they weren't born again on the inside, and they made many mistakes. And uh, to the point where it says in John chapter 1 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That happened at the 4,000 year mark. There's 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years from Abraham to Jesus. And uh, it's also significant that um, on the fourth day of creation, Let's see here. Second day, third day. Look at this. Jesus is the light of the world. Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven or the atmosphere to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus is the light of the world. And And he arrived at the 4,000 year mark, 4,000 years in from, from the creation of Adam. Well, um, that, that doesn't mean the earth is 6,000 years old. That, that's another subject for another time. I believe the earth is much older than that. But Adam, I believe, was here 6,000 6, years ago. 4,000 years in, here we have the, the birth of Jesus. And Jesus is the light of the world, and if, you, if we look at the, um, the, the story of creation, it was on the fourth day that God made the sun and the moon and the stars to self-sustaining light for, for this physical world. And he brought Jesus, the spiritual light of the world, here on on the fourth day when we talk about um this also gets into something else when we when we discuss bible prophecy uh the apostle peter sets out a principle that in the discussion of bible prophecy a day is with the lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day and so If we um, look at the story of creation, the light, God set it up in the heavens on the fourth day. And 4,000 years in, we have Jesus, the spiritual light of the world. And then God made two, you know, he didn't just make the sun, he made the, the moon also. The greater light to rule the day, that's the sun, the lesser light to rule the night. So... As believers we are not we we are we, we are not the origin of the light of God but we are to reflect his light. Jesus called us the light of the world as well. But we are to reflect him just as the moon reflects and radiates light from the sun. That's how we are to reflect and radiate the spiritual light of, this, of the Son of God. So, amen. That is something I did not say on Sunday morning. Hallelujah. Back to Genesis chapter 15. So, that's a little background on the concept of a chosen people. And here, God starts getting very, very serious with With Abraham he said God I don't have a child and God assures him that he will have a child and the child will come from his own body brings him forth tells him to look to the heaven tell the stars if if thou be able to number them and he said unto him so shall thy seed be Genesis 15 verse 6 and he Abraham believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness romans talks about this as well abraham by faith believed in god and god counted him a righteous man because he believed because he believed what he said by faith and so even back there no one was made righteous by keeping the law, that was for sure. But Ab- but God did count Abraham righteous just because he believed him, just because he had faith. Hallelujah. He believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees, to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another, but the birds he divided not. So in verse 8, Abram is saying, Lord God, how shall I know that I shall inherit it? Inherit the land and have this son. And God said, okay, go get these animals. Cut them in half. And here, God cut a covenant with Abram to let him know for sure that he was serious about what he was doing and uh, covenants um, blood covenants uh were very common in the ancient world and it was a sign that you were very very serious when it came to blood and so god and and this this is how how this would happen these animals were cut um from the head down the backbone all the way down the spine <clears throat> and then entirely cut in half so one half was over was laid over to the right one half was laid over to the left and a channel of blood would fall right in the center as each animal was divided in half the blood would fall right in the center and the pieces would be on each side okay When the fowls came, the birds, came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. God put him to sleep. And lo, and horror, and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord starts to speak to him. And said unto Abram, know of a surety that thy seed shall be be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve I will judge, and afterward they shall come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Okay verse 17 and it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark behold a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces what is that here we have abram dividing the pieces creating this um, this huge channel of blood here God puts him to sleep God prophesies some things about his family and then when the sun went down and it was dark behold, behold means look a smoking furnace and a burning lamp Uh, the Hebrew says, a lamp of fire passed between those pieces. I believe that's God the Father and and the pre-incarnate Jesus himself. And I'm not sure which is which. <laughs> but But this, God put Abram to sleep and set him to the side. And rather than abram walking through that blood and pledging himself to god it was it was god and jesus walking through that blood and passing between those pieces and that's how covenant was made the covenant partners would the the ones making covenant together would actually they, there was that channel of blood between the bloody pieces that would, were set one side and the other side, and they would walk in a figure eight through that blood, pledging themselves, their lives, their families, and everything that they had to each other. And that, that, that was how, how blood covenant happened way back there. So in the same day, The Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the great river of Egypt, that would be the Nile, unto the great river, the river Euphrates. And then he lists tribes that inhabit all these areas. And so you can see that even in modern-day Israel, what they actually have right now as a country is far smaller than what they will have in the millennium and far smaller than what God has promised to them here because um, the the nation of Israel is supposed to be from the Nile all the way to the Euphrates, Mediterranean all the way to the the mouth of the, the body of water at the southern part of Iraq. So that's that's god making a covenant with abram right there and uh, one thing about that i need to say is that over in the book of hebrews chapter 6 it tells us something about this hebrews 6:13 through 20 for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore swear by himself. So apparently in covenant, you would always swear by someone that's greater than you are. And here, God made covenant and promise to, to Abraham. But he looked around, and there wasn't anybody bigger or greater than he was, and so he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, The immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us that's the body and blood of our lord jesus christ represented by the bread and wine in holy communion two immutable things in which it's impossible for for god to lie and it's the it's our covenant with god that is the anchor of our soul and it was this blood covenant that god um that god made with abraham that anchored his soul and helped him to know for sure that God was serious about this. And also there's a point that if it was God the Father and Jesus passing between those pieces and fulfilling the the old covenant on the cross, our Lord Jesus Christ shedding his own blood. It said it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He's put him to grief, made his soul an offering for sin. There's the action of God the Father, and then Jesus, the suffering servant on our behalf. My point is, our covenant with God is unbreakable. Because if we mess up, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, and confession and forgiveness of sins is part of our covenant. It's written in the book. We have an unbreakable covenant with God because Jesus is not going to back out and God is not going to back out. God is not a man that he God is not a man that he could lie. Nor the son of man that he should repent. So a covenant between Jesus and God offered to Abraham offered to us is totally unbreakable. The only way that, the only way to get away from it would be to walk away from the love of God. And that would be that, that would have to be a conscious decision. and that's somewhere that I am never going to go. We can and uh, Romans chapter eight affirms this. I have no idea how many minutes in this is but I'm getting blessed. God is God is helping us. You can hear my pages here, Romans chapter 8. Paul says in Romans 8 <clears throat> verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. So there, there we have scripture for it being unbreakable. God's not backing out of this deal. It's a covenant sealed in the blood of Jesus. Jesus is not backing out. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Nothing can separate us from that, and I'm not walking away from it. Amen. Um, there is one other example of of covenant. I, actually, there's more than that. I mean, I, in material that I was reading, um, they said Abraham also cut a covenant with Abimelech, who was a who was a uh, a Philistine king. Uh, back in Abraham's time, uh, Abram's grandson Jacob cut a covenant with Laban, who became his his father-in-law. Um, but the one that we have the most—let me grab my papers here—the the covenant in the Bible that we, we have um, the most detail on, besides this one here with Abraham, is in— um, in the life of David and Jonathan and we're going to be going to 1st Samuel chapter 18 let me answer something before we get there why why does blood have to be involved this is a eternal principle of God And the answer is in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. So I'll read that to you real quick. Leviticus chapter 17. Moses is discussing the the Day of Atonement. And... um, In verse 11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Remember when Cain killed Abel? God said, Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. When an animal or a human loses their blood, the body dies, because the life of the flesh is in the blood, and so throughout the Old Testament, when when animal sacrifices were were employed, to by by the commandment of the Lord, to uh, To cover the sins of the people those animal sacrifices just covered their sins and and it was only for a temporary period of time those sacrifices would have to be repeated again and again and again many times through a person's life at great expense to them as well but then the book of hebrews tells us that jesus shed his own blood once for all and though and and his blood is greater than animals blood his blood was this is the blood of the the perfect sinless son of god the lamb of god who came to take away the sin of the world and and his his blood doesn't just cover sins temporarily it washes them away hallelujah and so in our covenant with god the purpose of the blood is for the remission of sins. When a sinner comes to Jesus and understands Jesus' sacrifice and, and, uh, and asks Jesus for the salvation that he purchased for him on the cross, that sinner is saved by the blood of Jesus. And then as we continue in our Christian life, sin does occur from time to time. And the more we grow, the the fewer those times should be, because we're supposed to be growing and and, uh, making less mistakes. But um, the sinner is saved by the blood of Jesus, and then the Christian is cleansed whenever he needs cleansing by the blood of Jesus. It takes, it takes more blood to save someone, and then their cleansing is simply like uh, in the Old Testament. Moses would sprinkle the blood on the people. It would be a sprinkling of blood to, um, to cleanse them of, of their sins. And um, so we can't make too much of, of the blood of Christ. When Jesus shed His blood for us, He gave His life for us, because the life of the flesh is in the blood, and in covenant. Two two lives, and two bloods are mingled together. Um, and we can see that we're, we're going to see this here in First um, Samuel chapter 18. Oh boy. Okay, I've been going on a little longer than I intended to. First Samuel chapter eighteen, verses one through four. David had just killed Goliath in first Samuel seventeen. This is and, and so now David is on the king's radar. David stands before the king. David meets the prince, who's Jonathan, Saul's son. Chapter 18. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then... Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul, and this wasn't any kind of a, of a of a weird perverse love, um, but rather a, a godly friendship. And so, because they just they, they 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 just connected, David and Jonathan, obviously the anointing is attractive, and. And uh, Jonathan sees the anointing of God on David in killing Goliath and on David's words and, and just David's life before God in worship and prayer and just what a man David was. And that was attractive to Jonathan. And Jonathan said, I want to associate with that. I want to be this guy's best friend and they made a covenant together. Now, this, this account doesn't mention any blood because it was so common in in covenant that they it, it, it would always happen. Blood was always a part of it, and anyone reading this would know it, so they just didn't even mention it, but they mentioned other parts of covenant that uh, that always happened here it says in first samuel 18 verse 4 and jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to david and his garments even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle okay jonathan gave what he had to david david reciprocated and gave what he had to jonathan so obviously jonathan is the king's son and and uh jonathan has has wealth and privilege and um, nice weapons and accessories and cool stuff like that what does david have a shepherd's garment a um you know the makings of a leather strap tied together for a belt uh, A stone and a sling. But they exchanged things. And this was a. This was a real. A real covenant. There's a book that I've been. Studying through. um, uh, And uh, listening to actually. On on audiobook Called the miracle of the scarlet thread. By Richard Booker. And this book is probably almost 40 years old. But um. Let me read just a little bit about this. He talks about steps of a Hebrew covenant. Okay. Page 27. The Hebrews had a blood covenant ritual that was similar to other nations around them. All nations practiced blood covenant because man instinctively sought this relationship. So this practice was not unique to the Hebrews page 28 when two hebrew males entered into a blood covenant they went through a very specific ceremony to explain it to you i want to take you into this covenant i want to enter into this covenant with you um you and i are now going into are now going to enter into a blood covenant as two hebrew males would do And these are the nine steps, and I'm not going to read every word, but here they are. Step one take off the coat and robe. Okay? By taking off my robe and giving it to you, I'm symbolically saying I'm giving you all myself, my total being and my life. I pledge to you, then you do the same to me. Step two take off the belt. As I give you my belt, I'm saying, here is my strength and all my ability to fight. If anybody attacks you, they are also attacking me. Your battles are my battles, mine are yours. I will fight with you. I will help defend you and protect you. And you do the same to me. This is, a sim- this is similar to a compact nations might make today. But this one cannot be broken. Then they cut the covenant. By taking an animal, splitting it right down the middle, in the Bible, an animal is only cut down the middle and split in two in a covenant ceremony. After we split the animal, we lay each half to the side of us and stand in between the two bloody halves with our backs to each other. Then we walk right through the bloody halves, making a figure eight and come back to a stop facing each other. In doing so, we are saying two things. First, we are saying that we are dying to ourselves, giving up the rights to our own life and beginning a new walk with our covenant partner unto death. You see, in this covenant, each half of the dead animal represents us. And second, since the, blood, since the blood covenant is the most solemn pact, we each point down to the bloody animal split in two and say, God do so to me and more if I ever try to break this covenant. Just split me right down the middle and feed me to the vultures because I tried to break the most sacred of all compacts. Step four, raise the right arm and mix blood. Then we raise our right arms, cut our palms, and bring them together as we do our blood intermingles. Then we swear allegiance to each other. As our blood intermingles, we believe our lives are intermingling and becoming one life. This is because our blood is our life. And to intermingle blood is to intermingle life. So we are putting off our old nature and putting on the nature of our blood covenant partner. We too are becoming one. Man is has always believed that intermingling blood is intermingling life. This symbolically shows the two of us becoming one. Step five, exchange names. Then as we stand there with our blood intermingling, we exchange names. I take your last name as part of my name, and you take my last name as part of your name. And so... There are you. You will see um, people that have a hyphenated last name, and the origins of, of that go back to go back to this. So Jones and Smith cut a covenant together, and um, Smith becomes Smith-Jones, and Jones becomes Jones-Smith. Step six, make a scar the next step is to rub our blood together and make a scar as, permanent, as a permanent testimony to the covenant. In other words, yeah, do something to the cut where, where it won't heal and disappear, where there will always be left a scar there. I've heard of gunpowder being rubbed into wounds like this um other things it will always be there to remind us of our covenant responsibilities to each other it is the guarantee of our covenant step 7 give covenant terms then we stand before witnesses and give the terms of the covenant i say all my assets are yours all my money all my property all my possessions are yours If you need any of them, you don't even need to ask. Just come and get it. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. If I die, all my children are yours by adoption, and you are responsible for my family. But at the same time, you also get my liabilities. If I ever get in trouble financially, I don't have to come ask you for money. I come to you and say, where is our checkbook? We are in covenant. This is so good. In our covenant with God, God has all the assets and we have nothing but liabilities. God has everything good and we have, we're, we're the ones with all the lack, all the mistakes, all the sin, all the, all the liabilities. But he assumes responsibility for us and we get complete total redemption out of our covenant with God. It's, it's the best... If anyone gets the short end of the stick, it's God. But then when we function in our covenant with God in the Christian life, we can give God something that He does not have by bringing other people into reconciliation with God. That's the one thing that God does not have is other, is other people. And by sharing our faith and and bringing them to the Lord so they can, they, they can meet him and they can be part of this covenant with God as well, then that's how we make God rich. Then they eat a memorial meal. A memorial meal to complete the covenant union. This is uh, similar to, a, to the cake that the bride and groom feed each other after they make a covenant of marriage which is which is no less of a covenant and um, in the place of the animal and blood we have bread and wine in the bible wine is called the blood of the grapes and it represents our own life blood and the bread represents our flesh didn't jesus say if you, it's in the book of John, he said, If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you will have life in you. And if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're going to die in your sins. And religious Jewish people were saying, Oh my goodness, what is he talking about? Is, is this cannibalism? this this is an off teaching um, many of them refused to follow him anymore peter said lord where where are we gonna go you have the words of eternal life and he and peter chose to not be offended but to stay around and eventually receive the revelation of of what he was talking about he was talking about this covenant that he was that he was going to be the sacrifice of and cut to redeem us amen and that's what um, he instituted at the last supper and that we memorialize and continue to celebrate in holy communion we take a loaf of bread and break it in two and feed it to each other This is symbolic of my body, and I'm now putting it in you. Then we serve each other the wine, say, "This." Okay, that's talking about the covenant meal, but in in Holy Communion, what's said? This is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. This is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's, um, it's all, it's all covenant. Step nine, plant a memorial. Now we leave a memorial. Now we leave a memorial to the covenant, Booker says. We want to always remember it. We do this by planting a tree that we have sprinkled with the blood of an animal. The blood sprinkled tree along with our scar will always be a testimony to our covenant. Now, anytime you see these happenings or these words referenced in the Bible, either actually or symbolically, you know the parties are entering into a covenant. You won't find all the details spelled out step by step as I have given them to you here, because in Bible days, everyone knew all the details and it wasn't necessary to record it all. But get familiar with the nine steps and the covenant lingo, because this is the basic ritual, and you will want, and you will want to recognize it as you read on and see how it is applied. So that's Richard Booker in his book, um, Miracle of the Scarlet Thread, um, pages um, twenty-seven through 31 and I didn't read all of it but I, I I read part of it here just to give us the practical understanding of what was going on with it. He, yeah, and he did write the book in um, copyright 1981. Can you close the door? See? Please? Thank you. Okay. So here we have God's... Uh, covenant with here we have in 1 Samuel 18 we have David and Jonathan um, making a covenant with each other and you can see the parts of it You know, there, Jonathan has given him his robe and his, his sword, his bow his girdle, David um, does the same even though all the steps are not, are not all spelled out here and so they they became they became one in covenant. I think I may have to divide this teaching into two parts. But um, the the covenant impacted their families. Let me find my next page in the in the notes here. This was so so cool. First uh, Samuel chapter 20. So let's move two chapters to the right. David is part of the family through the king's son. Verse um I don't think Saul knew about this covenant <coughs> Saul didn't know about this covenant that Jonathan made with with David. Jonathan was trying to play two roles be loyal be a loyal son to his father and 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 still be a faithful friend to David and uh, David, that, that's that's another term uh booker talks about about covenant terms friend you read friend in the bible abraham was a friend of god and it's in other places as well friend is is a covenant word very very serious um what happened? What what happens in First Samuel twenty, is um, David's life was under threat of King Saul, who was jealous of him and wanted him dead, and so um, Jonathan was trying to check out his dad to see, you know, can David stay here and still be okay, or does David really, really need to to leave and and be on the run? For his life, and it turned out that David actually needed to be on the run for his life, and so um, Jonathan arranged a secret uh, sign for David. David was hiding in a field. Jonathan goes out there with with a, a young boy for. Archery practice and said if the arrows run long, if they go too far, then you're gonna know that you you need to leave. And and that's what that's what Jonathan did. He shot the arrows too far, the young lad collected them, went back into the city. David steps out from where he was hiding. This is probably the last time they ever saw each other in the flesh, and they they had a, a brief goodbye and never saw each other again. It says, as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of his place. This is 1 Samuel 20, verse 41. David arose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another and wept with and wept one with another until David acceded. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, forasmuch as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee. And between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Okay. So that's uh, indication of of the of the covenant that they had with each other. Then let's move to First Chronicles chapter eight. the books of samuel books of kings and then the then the books of chronicles first uh, chronicles chapter 8 verse 33 it mentions that jonathan has a son uh, maribal and maribal begot micah all right um, that's all it says right there we need to move back to second samuel chapter 4 and here we have when david took over the kingdom now in ancient times, there there were no democracies. Okay, that's very very new on the world stage. A republic or a or a democracy. Well, I guess Athens had a um, somewhat of a democracy that I, I'd have to study, and and Rome had a republic that. Um, didn't make it very long but uh, but here we're dealing with monarchies, dictatorships you could say, but there was a king that was just the supreme ruler, all the power concentrated in one man. And in ancient times when a new king came to power, if it wasn't a son succeeding his father, if it was if, um, if, if the kingship went to a different family altogether, then family members of the original king's family were very, very afraid, were running for their lives because the new king would come to power and kill all the family members of the previous king. So that there would be no one in that family that stands up one day and says, oh, well, the throne actually belongs to me because I'm the heir and, and um, turns it into a revolution to bring the kingship back into his family line. So Um, Saul not only hated David and and wanted to kill him, saw David as a threat to to his throne, but he also poisoned his whole family with lies about David. Um, And like I said, it was the order of the day. You know, a new king comes to power, the previous um, king's family gets entirely wiped out. Well, when King David came to power... Saul's family heard about it they heard that Jonathan was dead Saul was dead and now they are running for their lives and it says in first in second samuel chapter 4 verse 4 and Jonathan Saul's son had a son that was lame of his feet he was 5 years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel and his nurse took him up so this nurse picks up Jonathan's son and fled and it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame and his name was Mephibosheth wow so um, so there you there you have it now, a few chapters later, 2 Samuel chapter 9. <clears throat> David is now very established in, in, in his kingdom. He, he reigned for seven years in the city of Hebron, or Hebron, I think in Israel. They, it's still there today. They pronounce it he, Hebron. Hebron but then but then David took the city of Jerusalem after he after all the tribes came together and and uh received him as their king then he he took men and went up and and took the city of Jerusalem from the Jebusites which is a great story and established that as his capital And uh, now he's very established as king, but he's still got that scar. He's still got that symbol of the covenant that he cut with Jonathan, and it's hurting him. This is a covenant of love, and when you think of our covenant with God, it's not just a covenant of blood, but it's it's a blood covenant of love as well. And the love that you have for your covenant part- partner makes you want to do something for them. Like, if you stand there long enough, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to do something for you. I, I'm going to... Something in me, in, in my soul, is not complete until I give to you and provide for you and do something for you. There's a Hebrew word called um, Hasid. It's spelled H E S E D. Psalms. It's often translated as the um, loving kindness, tender mercies, uh, but it's it's God's covenant love for for us. And here in Second Samuel chapter nine, David said, "Is there? He he sees the scar." And he's like, Is there any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Makir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Makir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now, in this Mephibosheth, you see, he's been lied to. He's been told, David hates you. David wants to kill you. Mephibosheth is, is thinking he's going to probably die right now. He's like, oh my goodness, they finally found me. I was trying to hide my identity. I was trying to hide my location. Somebody squealed on me. Now I'm going to be dead. Now when mephibosheth second Samuel chapter 9 verse 6 now when mephibosheth the son of jonathan the son of saul was come unto david he fell on his face and did reverence and david said mephibosheth and he answered behold thy servant and david said unto him fear not For I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant, that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called to Ziba Saul's servant and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Now therefore, thou therefore, and thy sons, and thy servants, shall till the land for him, and shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth Thy master's son shall eat bread alway at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, saith the king, He shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table, and was lame on both his feet. So the man is is handicapped. David goes and gets him out of this dusty, scummy old town. Brings him to the palace. Gives him all the land that used to belong to Jonathan and Saul. Brings in Saul's original servant, Ziba, says, You're going to work all that land for him? You're going to bring in his harvest. It, it's going to belong to him. And, but like he's going to need it because he's not going to need it. He's going to eat at my table every day. So this is, the, this kind of covenant, oh my, it's so far beyond just God meet my needs. It's surplus. It is prosperity to the nth degree. It is the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't have any I, I don't I don't even forget about my needs. I don't even have anything I want. Um, David said in Psalm 23, that he fills my cup until it overflows. That's this kind of covenant love and prosperity. Look at this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David wrote this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Hallelujah. <clears throat> any injuries, any any, uh, mental strongholds and hurts from the past, restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest, preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Mephibosheth didn't need all that. He would be, he would be totally fine just being adopted as a son of the king in the palace and having access to the king's table. That'd be everything he really needed. But he, he got everything that belonged to his father and his grandfather. He was provided with servants that, that um, <clears throat> worked the ground and brought in the harvest. The deposit of all those things was added to his wealth and he ate at the king's table. Glory be to God. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is our covenant with God, folks. This is how good it is. And uh, Mephibosheth, you know, he'd been lied to about, about David. And he found out that David was... David became his father, and a good father. Praise, praise God. Hallelujah. So, I believe that is the essence of um, of what I preached on Sunday. In in fact, in this in this preaching of it, you got a whole lot more than what I said on Sunday. There was a covenant established before I was born, just like before Mephibosheth was born. There was a covenant established. He was unaware of the covenant. He was ignorant of it. Well, with us, Jesus died on the cross long before any of us were born. There was a covenant established between God and Jesus for our, for our redemption and eternal salvation before we were born. But then when we are are told about it and given the good news of the gospel. We are given and extended an opportunity to enter into this pre-established covenant with God simply by saying yes to Jesus. By saying yes to Jesus, I enter the covenant, and all that God has belongs to me. And then we study the covenant. To continue to find what belongs to us and revelation of from the Word of God of of how to have faith and how to receive how to receive it. But like I said in Romans chapter eight, that's that is where I want to conclude the message. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Paul says, Romans 8, 38, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. If you'd like to enter this covenant with God right now by believing, by choosing to believe, That Jesus loves you, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that God raised him from the dead on the third day. That's what you must believe. That his blood was shed for you as the payment for all of your sin. That's what you must believe. When you choose to accept his sacrifice as being for you personally, that is when what he did will count in heaven for you. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Father, And pr- pray this prayer. O oh God in heaven, I have decided to believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me and rose from the dead, that I can have eternal life and the blessings, the covenant blessings of this life. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. To the best of my ability, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I will live my life for you. Amen. Now, Father, those that prayed that prayer with me, I ask you to bless them. I ask you to fill them with the Holy Spirit. I thank you for sealing them with your blood that on that day they will not be missing. And I thank you for guiding them and, and and making yourself known to them as they walk and they respond to you by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I love you all. It, it is such a privilege to have to have people to, to preach to as I begin to learn what it means to be a pastor. I do love you and pray for you. God bless you. Amen. Good night.